0: It's Jelly Bean time. Hello, it's Doug Lynch here. We're doing another Jelly Bean from Smack in Dublin. It's been fantastic. And I have got a man that actually lives in the same city that I live near at the moment, which is in Melbourne. I have got Andrew Tagg, who's uh, known to most of you. I would have thought through his involvement in
1: don'tforgetthethebubbles.com. Was that the first PEDS oriented format site? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, there's very little content on Life in the Fast Lane, there's a little bit of stuff in the US but we haven't seen anything else around.
0: Okay, cool. And there's quite a few of you that do it.
1: So there's four of us. Started off with Tessa Davis, Henry Goldstein, and Ben Lawton. So the other three are paediatricians. I have essentially very little to do with children nowadays, but I'm an adult emergency physician. So
0: were you working in a peds emergency at the time, or
1: how come you got involved? So after the very first smack in Sydney, I'd sent out a few tweets just because I was doing a peds reg job about some of the cases I'd seen and asking for advice, and Tessa just... Emailed me back and said, Do you want to get involved in this exciting new project? I was starting off. And said, Yeah, why not? I thought it'd be a good idea, help me study for the exam more than anything else. So by writing a blog post on something I knew nothing about, I was studying at the same time as kind of trying to disseminate a little bit of that information.
0: Excellent. And did you find it hard to get into the writing or did that bit come easy?
1: No, that was actually pretty easy. I was one of those sort of people who you always used to write stupid stories for Dungeons and Dragons right. and that sort of stuff when I was younger. So fiction was easy. Um non-fiction and scientific writing a little bit harder, just to make it sort of compact and easy to read and practice. And we talked a little, we we
0: were both at the same um, creative uh, workshop yesterday and some of this stuff came up. Did you find in the past that your previous creative writing had helped you when you moved into scientific writing and blog writing?
1: I think it had, yeah. I think certainly from a blog writing point of view, Jeremy Faust put it really nicely yesterday about you really want to grab your audience's attention right from the start. And writing sort of... I've written a couple of newspaper magazine-style articles for the cruise ship industry and for my previous jobs. And really, those are the sort of clickbait that get people reading a post, get people interested at the start, and then you can put the more scientific information in. You don't want to start off with a really dry, boring post about 100,000 people each year have this and such and such a problem. No one's going to read that. So you want something that grabs people, and often I like to start off my blog post with a little story about a a case based on children I've seen or something I've read about or experiences i've had or often more often than not it's problems my neighbors have had with their children that they ask me the question about i have no idea what the answer is but i can get back to them with some information oh, and you just mentioned something else that i wanted to talk to you about so uh, you were involved in the cruise ship industry so yeah. what were you uh, dancing singing yeah, absolutely, yeah. well i got fed up with nhs yeah you know was, as a registrar i was seeing those patients at three hours 45 minutes and i thought this is not the job for me and I signed up for a job for six months to work on a cruise ship as a so, doctor. So just sort
0: of context, the NHS, I think, was the first place that brought in the four-hour rule. So yeah. you basically had, it was the impact of that. Four hours just to get rid of basically people. Basically during, during the Blair government, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. And of course, loads of other people have adopted this now. But you, like me, left the UK because that looked like a... Shitty idea, and um, sorry, I know that there's reasons and all the business, but anyway, it
1: was no fun being there, and of course, it followed you to Australia. Yeah, nice. and that, that's a worry, isn't it? But anyway, you didn't, but you went on the cruise. Ship. Yeah. So well, how uh, does that happen? I mean, did, well, it was advertised to BMJ. I thought I'll do this. They just wanted someone who'd done a couple of years of A and E. I thought, you know, I'll go on it for, do it for a year, earn a little bit of money, tax free, sail around the world, see some things, and then I ended up doing it for four and a half years because I loved it so much. Right, and like, what sort of ships did you work on? So the bigger ships had sort of three and a half thousand passengers, a thousand crew. Right. Smallest ships were about 660 passengers, 300 crews, sail around the world many times, have been up the Amazon, through the Suez, through the Panama Canal, escorted through the Suez by warships in case we had Somali pirates coming aboard us. Brilliant. That's amazing,
0: because of something that I... What Look, I love, there's an aspect of medicine that just gives you an opportunity to go and work in different areas, whether you're a paramedic, nurse, doctor, it doesn't matter. And that is just one of those great stories is that, that you often think about, but I haven't met many people that have done it. I've never met anybody that did it, that much of it. So here's a question. Is there like a career structure when you do it?
1: Yeah, there or is. Do
0: you come in at the bottom and then you're slowly, you're trying to get to such and such a ship that's got like, I don't know,
1: better everything? So you start off as like a, an apprentice, essentially it's an apprentice model. So oh. you go in, there's a senior doctor on board who looks after all the passengers and your job is to look after the crew We're on there for nine, 10 months at a time, working 14, 16 hours a day and a hugely multinational crew. most of the crew members there are often 52 different nationalities on board who speak 52 different languages and so I'm essentially their primary care physician plus I'm dealing with all the accidents and emergencies on board and the crew are essentially really fit and healthy mm. which in the opposite end of the spectrum as you get more experience with some of the bureaucracy in the systems on board you're looking after the 80, 90 year olds who could afford to go on a cruise ship, you know, on cruise ship holidays have the time off to sail around the world drinking Krug champagne and watching shows and playing poker and is it fair to assume that, um, how should we put this, these
0: guys have got multiple different medical problems, Either are on 80 different medicines, they see, they're see they probably from the States and have eight
1: different attendings and all this sort of business, is that the sort of character you're dealing yeah, with? Yeah, so essentially you have to be just about fit enough to get up the gangplank, so if that means you're wheezing and carrying a portable oxygen to concentrate up the gangplank, you're, all right. you're allowed on board. Very st- different rules compared to airlines, so most people are, off, well, depends on where, you are, where you're selling, most people are on their last legs. Right, their last sea legs, as it turns yeah. out.
0: Now, the um, so when you're doing that, I mean, I presume, like you say, there's a hierarchy, not just in terms of um, some boats must be better than others, some ships, sorry, yeah, must be better than others. So, do you sort of go in at the
1: bottom and you work your way into a better no, one? No, I think there's a lot of luck involved. It's not so much the ship itself; it's the destinations and where you're sailing in the world. So, nearly all the cruise ships have a season where they sail around Alaska, a season where they sail around the Caribbean, around the Mexican Riviera, and then. You may be really lucky and then just get this one once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sail around the world. So mm. my very last cruise I did before I, I left, I, I arranged it because I, I knew I was going to resign. To sail, do a 108-day cruise around the world on a small ship, less than 1,000 passengers. It was a wonderful experience. I just I was just listening to Andrew there
0: looking at him and he might have noticed I started smiling because I just had this image of you in the white uniform at the captain's table. I just sort of got, and he would look really good. I get the photograph. He would look really good in that sort of setup. You know, he's very tall and so on. Did you
1: actually wear a white uniform? Yep, absolutely <laughs> yes. all the time. You know, and you know, captains' cocktail parties. I'd have the the white jacket, real bow tie, shiny shoes, the works. We didn't have those love boat style shorts oh. and the long socks because yep. they went out a few years ago. So what do you have some sort of black, yeah. just black woolen trousers or? Well, it depends where you are. So in the, if you're sitting in the hot climate, yeah. it's white trousers, not very practical okay. for a doctor.
0: And are they nice and tight and revealing? Course, I mean, okay, yeah. right. And is there, a, is there a thing about like, you actually, you have to look the part? Is that, they yeah, you? you're
1: always on show. Yeah. So when you're above decks, you are a member of hotel staff essentially, and a doctor and a representative of the company. So you've always got to be polite, smiling, happy. And I have to say that sort of customer service framework it's put me really in good stead doing medicine back yeah, on land because yeah. you're very much customer-patient focused. Mm. You know, whenever anyone would come to see me in clinic, I wouldn't ask them what was wrong with them. Is how can I make your holiday better for yeah. you? And you're already presupposing then that they're going to be getting better, yeah. feeling better, and often they leave with a smile rather than feeling miserable. The last thing you want to do when you're on holiday is go and see a doctor.
0: Yes, yes, I would have thought. So you know, the... Morbidity obviously of the crowds must vary with the age. Is that fair yeah. to assume? Okay. And the, but the crews were invariably fairly healthy physically. Didn't have relatively speaking, apart mm-hmm. from the drugs and alcohol. And
1: the, was there was there a problem with drugs and alcohol? my cigarettes more than anything else. Right. We'd have the oh, police yeah. dogs come on board, but yeah, there, there's not very much to do in a big metal box other than sleep with strangers and drink. Right, which leads to certain problems. Yeah. Okay. So
0: was there a significant amount of sexually transmitted disease? Yes, work you that, had to do?
1: Certainly, definitely. Um, there's a lot of sort of uh, post-coital con- contraception, and then I pretty much knew the location of every brothel in every port in the world. Right. And for a professional reason. For of course, a for a pro- of course yeah, yeah I wanted to visit them just to like, just check in, visit. just check. But you know, when we're sailing around Brazil, we know there's a huge HIV rate around Manaus, where we were. So we would be actively handing out condoms to all the seafarers as they would leave the ship. Right. And you know we don't have that health education also so promoting safe sex on board.
0: No, And do you have
1: to... I mean, obviously
0: you can do that with the crew, but I presume that's not something you talk about with the passengers. I hope not. I, realistically, I think most of them have gone beyond that age. Fair enough. OK. Yeah, The average age of some of these ships, it is literally in the 70s, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, okay. definitely. And what was the
1: best kitted-out ship you ever worked on? Uh, well, all of the ships have got... And what often people are surprised what we can do on board. You know, we do our own X-rays on board yeah. with digital packs, yeah. which we'll then... Telehealth back to the US, and we'll yeah, have an X-ray yeah. ray read within four hours. We do all our own blood tests on board, so we've we got stats, We centrifuge down the blood, do cross match on board. We've got a we had a portable BNP D-dimer yep. troponin triple test kit, which God, I don't even have in my own emergency department now. Mm. No, imagine I got a bit of work too. Yeah, exactly, mm. and yeah, I think those are the most fancy kits, and all the ships were kitted out the same. So when we we're on board, we all knew what we were doing. Ventilator. Yep. How many? Uh, one. Just so one. if you have two ventilated patients, you're handbagging for, until you get to short. Okay. Alrighty. And then, so, well, I mean, what, no Reboa? No ECMO? No. Bloody didn't exist it. in those days. Well, it's also true. So How many years I, ago was it? So, so I did it, I finished in 2008. Okay. And so we didn't have ultrasound. We didn't okay. have non-invasive ventilation. Right. Which was a challenge because a lot of these people drink too much, eat too much, go into cardiac failure, and you end up having to chew them to give them. So if you, you're, you really would have had an OxyLog 2000 or something? Yeah, like something yeah. like okay, that. Right. All right, fantastic. Well, that's pretty
0: interesting. I, I don't know what you can tell me about the freakiest case that you ended up having to deal so, with. Uh,
1: I think the hardest case, I mean, I've you know, I've obviously run cardiac arrest in the middle of line dancing classes when I'm being videoed by 30 Americans. Nice one. In a bow tie, and that's always you know an experience. I, think ha- I presume not sweating? Not sweating, no, of course, yeah. you're not allowed to. Yeah. I think the hardest case that I had to deal with, we had a woman that had a massive PR bleed, was completely fit and well, had a bradyasystolic arrest, got her back with a tiny bit of fluid, and then we needed to give her blood. And... We don't carry blood on board ships, it's just one of those things we don't do. So you've got to wake up the captain at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, get him to put an announcement out, yeah. and we have all these passengers on board volunteering to donate their blood. I've yeah. got to then do rapid HIV and hepatitis testing on board the ship. Yeah cross-match them, then we've got to take the blood from the donor and then transfuse it with all those lovely fresh clotting factors straight into the patient. Yeah. yeah, good blood. The
0: Interestingly, you go to the passengers first, not to...
1: Yeah, because essentially sailors are filthy, dirty beasts. Oh, I can't believe you, you said that. You could have all sorts of diseases. And, you know, as a Brit abroad, I'm not even allowed to donate blood in, in Australia, so mm. there's always that risk of mad cow disease amongst the British officers as well. Yes, <laughs> I
0: hadn't thought of that so uh, do people find it difficult or, or is it something that they kind of associate with almost the excitement of being on the ship you donate the blood and so on or something. no like they loved
1: it, it. Yeah. you know for these passengers this is the once in a lifetime this is the story that they're going to be telling in the pub when for, they get home for over if Christmas if they can holidays. walk to the pub yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but this is the story they're going to be telling <clears throat> I was on holiday I donated blood I saved a life and the captain, captain yeah. sent me a bottle of champagne for doing it that's know. how
0: it works yeah Fantastic. You know, we should probably think about that model for trying to get more people to, to donate blood in the first place. Yeah. You know, actually here in the south of Ireland, I don't know if it's the case anymore, but they used to give you a pint of Guinness every time you donated blood. That'd Guinness sponsored it. I and I think in the north, they st- I know when I donated blood in the north, he didn't do that. I think there was some issues. Our the wonderful reverend Ian Paisley, who was actually quite an interesting guy, um, uh, and other people had sort of felt that it was too much of a symbol of the south, so you just got a badge. <laughs> <laughs> so with some people from Newry, which is not very far north, used to go and give blood. Across the border in the just south, just to get that pint as well. Yeah. It's also on principle, but you know, and funny how old, are they allowed to donate. Uh, well, it depends on the character, because some yeah. of these guys, their pint of was very important to them. Yeah. And uh, but I, I guess it's a three-monthly thing, but I'm not sure. It might be six-monthly. I couldn't. I, can't, I I'm. I must admit I gave blood once, and I did not enjoy having a large canyon in me, and I, I really. No, was a whip, You know, after sorry guys, I'm a wimp. Um, so right, sailing around the world all for four years, and then you basically decided
1: to get off this ship. Yeah, because I was getting to this point where I thought I could stay and do this job for a lifetime, but I'm going to get de skills, and you know I didn't have access to all the fancy stuff I would have on board. I thought I want to, I need to settle down. I'm not going to go back to England. My choices are really Canada or Australia, and Australia just magically offered me a job because Victoria was. Actively recruiting for British doctors, yeah. And I saw this, and they said, "Do you want to come and work in, you know, in Footscray?" And I said, "In Sunshine." I said, "I've no idea where Sunshine Hospital is. It sounds really nice. It sounds like it's warm." I googled it, and it's seven kilometers from the city. And I thought this is perfect. Good. So my wife and I packed up, and moved over to Australia.
0: Well, actually, just
1: I want to get onto that Australia thing, but just quickly, so your wife, when you were on the ships, did you travel together? Yeah, most of the time. So she, you'd work for sort of three months at a time, have a month off. Yeah. So she would locum as a pharmacy tech the middle month and then on that last cruise she came on board did a 108 day cruise for $50 oh, nice. she <laughs> nice. was very happy <laughs> although because she was my wife she had, social, the, she had social responsibilities yeah. and all the passengers would still want to come and talk to her and ask them about their medical problems to pass on to me so they wouldn't have to pay I guess but she'd have to go out to dinner cocktails morning morning tea with the matriarch of the ship that sort of thing
0: oh right. i hadn't thought of that i yes yeah, so that's the model you have yeah. to pay to see the doctor it's probably important or else everybody will be seeing you all the time Yeah. interesting okay Funny old world, funny old world. But now you're working in Footscray, which is a very interesting part of Melbourne. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and there's been some very interesting people there, haven't there? I mean, there, there, there's a woman called Anne-Marie Kelly. Anne-Marie Kelly yeah. is
1: now, the, once again, the director of the emergency department in Footscray. So yep. she's pretty well known in the world of research, looking into sort of blood gases, um, cardiac enzymes. Yep. But yeah, she's a great role model, yep. very driven personality. Right. Um, but certainly keen to make change in the department and bring it forward. Cool and a good group of people there. Do you? Yeah, lovely. I've got three or four of them here actually in the conference, which is great. I've got quite a good bunch of young consultants who are really interested and enthusiastic about teaching um, and teaching the juniors. It's a great place to work. And do you spend any time in Sunshine Hospital as well? Yeah, so I do split shifts. So I do, I'll do two or three days a week in one hospital and then the next week I'll do two or three days in the other I got you okay fine and,
0: and we know we both know some reprobates that work in Sunshine Hospital but the less said about that the better mm. but uh, the but it's not the only thing in your job you do something
1: else still yeah so you know I'm one of those people who has likes to have eight days in, in a week Yeah. so I do my adult shifts, and then two or three days a week I do work for Adult Retrieval Victoria, so coordinating and flying around the state, picking up critically ill and injured patients.
0: And we we, just, we talked with Anne Creighton a while ago, and we just mentioned that she was involved when they were setting up Adult Retrieval Victoria. And I'll, I'll link that in the notes. But uh, and now she's off in Fiji. What's it like in there now? I mean, I mean it, it's an interesting model because it's entirely bedded and owned by the ambulance service. So you're basically working for the ambulance service. Yeah. Yeah. And the
1: in and you have multiple different modes. You don't always have a doctor going out. Sometimes you have paramedics. sometimes it's paramedics, sometimes it's mobile intensive care paramedics or the mica guys. Sometimes we're just coordinating and utilizing rural resources because it's too far for us to actually be able to move someone. But then we use multiple platforms. We've got planes, we've got AW139, helico- brand new helicopter fleet. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is really nice and fancy. Um, and then we obviously we've got you know road ambulances that utilise as well. Okay, cool. And uh, still a small team because they were, they were conspicuous for being small and efficient. Yeah, so registered, there are about four or five registrars yeah. at the moment and between 20 and 30 consultants who do 10 to 12 hour shifts. And the back end is in the uh,
0: bureaucracy administration side and so on and so forth. How many people is that? Three? Three, four, five at most. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: Right. Okay. Is it fun? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I was quite anxious at first going in and doing this sort of critical care out there type of stuff, but I've been to every hospital in Victoria. I've really seen the big difference between the sort of, in a way, the disparity between what me- metro hospitals provide and what rural hospitals are able to provide. And so, one of the things that adult Retrieval is actually trying to put in place is a, a teaching module, an online teaching module, teaching trauma basics to all the rural hospitals. Mm. So I was involved with that. And trying to sort of level up their game a little bit, but also make the metro hospitals aware of what's happening out there in their sort of ivory towers where they do ECMO, RBOA and everything else. Some places don't have access to an ultrasound. So GP and just have to come in from home to intubate the patients. Mm, So there is a standard of care, but it isn't always that platinum standard that's achievable. It's it is something that's very important. I worked
0: for adult retrieval with Victoria in the past, and one of the things that I got most from it is I had a better understanding of the public health system in the state as a result of doing aeromedical medical retrieval. So, because I just I, I began increasingly to know the individuals and the people that were yeah. working and what they had to work with, and uh, and it certainly changed my attitude. Anytime I I saw somebody working in an emergency department giving somebody m- m- calling for help from a, a small rural hospital that I'd been to, um, I. I I thought it was really useful for them to sort of know, do you know what that guy has got out there? You know, and, and yeah, I think, so I think that's a... Before you say, can't you manage that yourself? Come on, and this yeah. sort of attitude. So I think it's really good for that. And the other thing, I don't know if you do it, but it, I think if I go again, you know how you can do these sort of 360s and all these things on your phone yeah. now? Stand in the middle of the resource room in Swan Hill or somewhere like that and do a 360 so the next time somebody's going like yeah, I got this car from Swan Hill. The guy didn't seem to know what he was doing. He's like, yeah, this is the resuscitation room in Swan <laughs> sure. yeah. And just let people... It's just a reality check. We all it have is. to remember.
1: And we don't all get the same kid to play with, do we? No, and it's quite nice now we've got telehealth and we can link up and see what's happening in all no, the it, hospitals. It's an interesting system, that one. Yes, yeah, so it's a lot of the... You know, if we've never been to somewhere, I... And you're not really sure what's going on. It's very difficult to sell some patients down the phone, especially if you're, you're the one doctor looking after a critically ill patient. Yep. You're scared, understandably so, and you're asking for help. It's great then if they can have another eyes on the patient, yep. looking at the monitor, looking at the ECG, looking at the investigations, and just... Being another face, someone to talk to and bounce stuff off.
0: Are those because that was introduced while I was there, and it was only in a couple of places back then? And there was lots of kind of people who were not sure about being watched, and I
1: understand mm. people getting much more comfortable. Yeah, certainly know. most
0: of the hospitals. So then now they're go, sort of going like, look over here. Here's the results, and holding it up to the screen yeah, type thing. Yeah, and,
1: and yes. you know the other nice thing we've we've used it for talking to relatives to get a history. Yeah, good we've taught used it for talking to relatives to talk about end of life decisions and sure. the appropriateness of transfer, whereas. You know, in the past we may have a conference call, a phone call, but having that sort of difficult conversation face-to-face, albeit over the internet, it's actually a lot easier to do. Cool. Listen, I'm going to wrap it
0: up now because I think we probably keep talking, but I'm going to ask you something now. Will you send me a photograph of you in your uniform? Yes. Will you let me put it up on the website? Absolutely. Okay, cool, because then you'll get to understand what a dapper character we're chatting to here. Listen, thanks for talking to me today, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. been looking forward to speaking to you for some time. And, uh, yeah, I, wish I, I kind of always wanted to have a job on one of those love boat type things and so on and so forth, and it sounds like you had one, but the reality, funnily enough, a bit different. Take care. Cheers, Doug.